Good morning, church. We are in Luke chapter 11. If you've got um, your Bibles along, or um, there's Bibles underneath the pew in front of you, underneath the chair in front of you. Uh, We're at Luke chapter 11. We're continuing in our sermon series, Parables of Jesus, and today we find ourselves Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John's taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give instead, uh, will give instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are a good Father. We sang a couple of songs, Lord, just praising You for Your goodness and the ways, Lord, that You father us, that You come and meet us. And so, Lord, would you pour out your Spirit and open up our hearts and minds to your Word, and by your Spirit, make your Word alive. Move our hearts, move our minds, correct and encourage us in faith. Strengthen us, Lord. Gift us. Lord, empty me of myself and fill me by your Spirit to overflowing that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, might be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say... Amen. Well, continuing this sermon series in parables, we're jumping into one of Jesus' teaching that isn't really introduced as a parable, right? The last weeks we've kind of heard the text say something like, in response to their question, Jesus taught them by a parable. Instead, today, it says, in response to the disciples' inquiry on how to pray, Jesus shows them an example of prayer. What a prayer, what to pray, and then he just launches into a story. It's a story that teaches them how to pray and what to expect. The story Jesus tells is a parable. Remember what a parable is? It's the teaching from Jesus that lays parallel a heavenly truth alongside an everyday example. And today, Jesus' story, the parable that he tells, instructs us in our prayer life, our life in conversation with our Heavenly Father. And the parable highlights God's desire for our prayer life, how we are to engage in prayer. And he tells us what we are to expect as we lift up our lives in prayer to our Heavenly Father. It starts as the disciples watch Jesus as he's praying. And as they're watching him, they reflect on their own life of faith, their own prayer life. They see his earnestness. They see how important prayer is to Jesus. They witness his dependence, how he relies on prayer, how he longs for it, needed it. So they're curious. 
And they say, in essence, we want what you've got. We want to know how you do it. What's the proper way to approach God, to speak? They say, teach us how to pray. When I was three, <clears throat> I uh, broke my arm. And it was a, it was a bad break. Um, it was a bad break primarily because as I was crying, running home to my folks, I fell on it again. I tripped. And, um, and uh, I was in the hospital for a number of days because I severed all the nerves from my elbow down. And so they had to do reconstructive surgery on my nerves. <clears throat> and so I was lying there in the hospital, and every morning I would wake up and my dad would be sitting by my, my bed. Now you might remember at this time in hospital life, you couldn't stay overnight with your kids. <laughs> you know, it was like three-year-old, you stick them in a bed in the hospital, and that was it. They had to go home at five or whatever it was, or seven. And so I would lay there waiting, and each morning my dad I'd wake up and he'd be sitting there he would wait to feed me because I broke my right arm and I was three and so he would before he went to school and taught he would come to the hospital and he, he would feed me I couldn't feel my fingers and I was afraid and uh, I didn't like when they left I would cry each each time they had to go home but my parents I remember would tell me you know pray they would tell me to pray and, and they, would add, they would tell me to pray for the other kids that were, that were there that needed prayer. They tried to pull me outside of myself and, and ask me to pray for the people around me. But one morning when my dad came to feed me Wheaties, <laughs> um, the breakfast of champions, by the way. Um, when my dad came to feed me Wheaties uh, one morning, I had a very serious question. I asked him, how's a guy supposed to pray with only one arm? Right? Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe you have that same question or a similar. What is the right way to approach God? What's the right approach? What should be done? What should be said? How should a person approach God Almighty, maker of the universe? What position should one take? How's a guy supposed to pray with only one arm? Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus' approach is to give them a form for prayers, to share with them some proper content of a prayer, and then he tells them a parable that furthers the lesson in how to pray. The form of prayer that Jesus taught them is what we now call, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Right. And by Jesus teaching us this prayer, we learn the form of what we should include in our prayers. Things like reverence for God lifting up his name as holy and praying that his name would be glorified, right? Hallowed be thy name. Praying to further God's kingdom, to bring about God's will on earth, for God to do his work in our midst, through us and by his Holy Spirit. Asking for our physical needs, our day-to-day -day struggles, and more importantly, our spiritual needs. Forgive our sins as we forgive others and protection and deliverance from evil. And, and after sharing with them what to pray, kind of the form of what a content should be, Jesus tells them a parable that explains to them how they're to pray and then informs them of what they'll receive by praying. He launches into a parable, this everyday example that has heavenly implications, heavenly lessons for them and for us. Now, the parable describes a situation that, that may have happened to you. An unexpected guest shows up in the evening. They've come to greet you, maybe even to stay with you, and you've got nothing to share. No homemade cookies, 
No little treats with coffee, not even a Cheeto can be found. So what do you do? You run next door to the neighbor and you pound on his door. You're good friends after all. Looking for something to share with your guest, something to show some hospitality, and you knock and your neighbor friend from behind the door closed groans, it's you. Do you know what time it is? Go away. Go home. They may give you grief, but persistence will win out. Your friends, after all, and your knocking will have a desire. In fact, you'll get some Oreos or some cookies that they made that day to share with your guests. And as Jesus says in verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 11, because of the impudence, he will rise and he'll give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, will be given you, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be opened. Now, impudence, it's not a word we use very often. And when I read the text uh, in the ESV here, that word just sounds kind of negative to me, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> like, just, you know, like this annoying knocking or something. And, and I don't think that's a great, a great translation, to tell you the truth. The other versions use other words. And I looked up some synonyms. And, and here's some synonyms for that word imp- impudence. Could have used boldness or persistence. Actually, in the Greek, the word literally means shameless persistence. In other words, you have a right to ask boldly. <laughs> persistence. Persistent knocking. Jesus has already given them the content of what to pray, this Lord's Prayer, and now he instructs them in how to pray. And how are we to pray? Shamelessly persistent. Isn't that great? God invites you to be shamelessly persistent (laughs) with him. We're called to persistence. And what you can't see in the English language that is seen in the Greek is the tense of the verbs, really, and kind of the implication of that. It might be implied. You'll kind of hear it after I say it. But what's not apparent in English is this. It's it's a present tense verb. So it would be equally right or maybe even more correct to have translated these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, as keep asking, keep seeking, keep on knocking. It's this ever-present sense of keep on keep on. God wants to hear your voice, to have you continually coming to him, sharing your life, seeking his help, desiring his will for yourself, for the church, for earth, for his mission with the gospel. Jesus says, don't stop asking, don't stop seeking, don't stop knocking, keep it up. Pray without seeking, pray without ceasing, seeking, asking, knocking until the answer is given to you, until God reveals to you his heart or gives you peace in the matter. Keep it up. What Jesus teaches us here isn't some magical formula for getting what you want. I think that's what we look at this text and we're like, oh, this is, you know, this will be a, this is the rub the genie and then boink and then three wishes. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It isn't about what you want, but more about the Father's desire to have you near to have you asking, to hear your voice, to know your needs, and to respond to you. He wants to be your heavenly Father. Do you hear me? This is about how we are to live under God's rule and lordship. We are to continually live in conversation with Him. And then He's able to answer, to instruct, and to give us what the Lord deems best for our lives. You may pray diligently. You may be asking, seeking, and knocking. And the answer from God may be yes, not now, or no. (laughs) And perhaps the answer is not what you had hoped or wanted or in the way you had hoped or wanted it, but we continue to pray in order to discover what God's will is in that answer. 
where God is at work in it and how God is going to use that situation. Yes, maybe or no, for his glory and for your good. Persistence in prayer helps us to see how God is responding or where he's showing up. The point is that as we persistently pray, we'll discover that God is there, (laughs) that he does love and provide. He is with us in our disappointment and loss, and he is present in our great joys and our incredible celebrations. He is near with providing and loving us in powerful ways. In persistent prayer, the truth of Romans 8.28 becomes clear. Romans 8.28, you can write it down in the margin of the Bible of Luke 11. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The powerful truth that the powerful truth isn't discovered. That, that powerful truth of Romans, of Romans 8.28 And the powerful truth of Jesus' parable here, it isn't discovered in a one-time prayer and a one-time interaction with God where we ask for something, we don't see it, and we get disgusted and turn and walk away. You're never going to understand where God is and how God is at work. It's discovered time and time again as you live in relationship with God, as you are shamelessly persistent in prayer, and as you see God move in and through both the wonderful, amazing moments of life and the hard and painful moments. Persistent prayer reveals both the Father's heart and love for us as well as his presence. It shows that he's near. One time and turn your back and leave, you will lose out on the fullness of God. And that's not the intent of prayer, magic lantern, but to live in and under God's rule and reign and in relationship with the Heavenly Father. The second thing that Jesus reveals to us in this parable is the heart of the Father. Look at verses 11 to 13. Look at verses 11 to 13. What father among you, if he asks, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father How much more? Now that might initially sound kind of a bit harsh. You know, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts, and you go, well, yeah, I'm Jeepers Jenny. But here's the thing. No matter how much we desire it to be pure, our love is always tainted by something. Amen? It just always is. We're broken. Sin affects our every aspect of life, even how we love those we love. (laughs) Even how we love our closest, our closest folks in our lives. It's even present how we give gifts. <laughs> our motives are never totally pure, even when it comes to our children, and yet we don't give them things that would intentionally harm them. Well, here we go. Imagine, just imagine how much more the Heavenly Father knows what to give you. You. Specifically you. And not only that, imagine the gifts that He desires to give you. And we get a glimpse of what Jesus is saying through the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We've read this before. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> now, 
I have to say, I fancy myself to be a pretty good gift giver. I think, I, I think that Julie and the girls would agree. I, I listen throughout the year, and I make mental notes, and I try to give really good gifts. That being said, I don't hold a candle to the Lord. Because I can't even imagine what God has in store for me or for you, for those who love him. We do, however, know what good gift the Father desires to give us here and now. We do know what good gifts the Father wants to give us in the here and now. We have some glimpse of what that is. It comes in the form of two people. <laughs> two people. His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. These two gifts that come from the Father are the greatest gifts that have ever been given. Amen? One means forgiveness, love, and salvation, Jesus, and the other means sanctification, faith, hope, and power for those who believe. John 3, 16 through 18. Now, we know this verse, but we're going to look at it quickly again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Verse 18, it's first gift. Look again now at Luke 11, where we've been spending our morning. Verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 11, Luke. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, underline this. How much more will your heavenly father give, circle it, the what? the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know what gift God thinks we need the most? <laughs> the Holy Spirit in the here and now. You know what God thinks will be the best for you? It's not a Cadillac. It's not a win on your team. It's not victory over. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father's good gifts to give us first salvation through His Son. We have been reconciled back to God through Jesus. And second, when we pray, when we ask, seek, and knock, the greatest gift we will receive is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's right there in the text. This is how Martin Luther describes it. And I love how Luther describes in really kind of real ways the gift of the Holy Spirit in the small catechism. Those of you who were catechized a long time ago in the church will remember this. This is, what, this is what Luther says about the third article of the creed, about the Holy Spirit. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Christ Jesus, my Lord, or even come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. Amen? He's called me through the gospel. He's enlightened me with his gifts. And he has sanctified and preserved me in true faith. This is the work of this, that the, the, the Lord is doing by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Preserves me in true faith. In the same way, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole church on earth and preserves it in unity with Jesus in one true faith. That's pretty darn good, isn't it? Come on, that's pretty good. That's what we need. The things of this world are passing away. But the Spirit 
anchors us to Christ Jesus and to his promises. In our persistent prayers, the Father gives us the Spirit. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is the gift that God wants to give each of us above every other thing, the Holy Spirit, and it comes to us as we pray. By his Spirit, we get God's indwelling. He lives in us. We understand it that through Scripture that we get a counselor. We get an advocate by the Spirit. We get the Spirit of truth. You can read about those things in John chapter 14 and chapter 16. By the Holy Spirit, we can discern what is good and what is not, what is truth and what is a lie. We receive the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit being Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we are gifted with spiritual gifts, Wisdom, knowledge, healing, prophecy, spiritual discernment, the working of miracles, tongues, these are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and determines who gets them, when and where, and to what degree they will be given. You can read about that as the Holy Spirit gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, empowers, fills, keeps us in faith, holds us together, fills us with faith, gives us the power to live out that faith, and then gifts us with what we need to share the gospel with others. Woo! Yes! Jesus gives us eternal life, and the Holy Spirit grants us abundant life. <laughs> oh, what a gift. Lord, teach us to pray. So how's your prayer life? Now, this lesson from Jesus could have turned into a big do and don't, a finger wag, a list of rules and a how-to, a burden laid on us of prayer where we start to think, mm, oh boy, I, I'm, I, I don't know if the Lord even loves me because I just don't pray enough. Right? Just, it's like another work to do. Ten steps to accessing God. But that isn't what happens. It starts with the disciples wanting to know how to pray. And what they hear from Jesus is the Father's desire to have them come. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and not only that, they hear not only the Father's desire to have them come, but the beautiful gift that's given when they do. It's not a list of rules and regulations and how-tos, but this invitation that draws us deeper in to this Father who loves us so much. The Father who wants us to come daily, not out of obligation, but out of love and relationship who holds gifts for you. The Father wants us to come because He wants to pour out His Spirit on us to give us what we need to live lives of faith and hope and love and what starts out as maybe a religious obligation, you know, teach us how to pray, turns into a lesson on the goodness of God, showing them and us how God wants to provide and fill and guide and heal and strengthen and love us by His Spirit. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I've got a proposition. Let's ask. Daily. And right now. Let's pray. Father, oh, we have many daily needs. We have many struggles. But Lord, our deepest need is you. And you know that. And so would you provide your spirit? Would you pour it out for us as a church? As individuals, would you pour out your Spirit on us? Come. 
and do your work in our hearts and in our lives. Create faith and hope and love and send us into the world with joy and with praise, with a song of freedom that comes from the gift of knowing Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask, teach us how to pray. Provide and fill and remind us time and time and time again as we come persistently, shamelessly persistent in our prayers. Pour you, pouring out your spirit. Remind us again and again how good you are, how you love us, and how you are near. Come, pour out your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say,